go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello, and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. My name is Hal Bryan, and I'm EAA's managing editor for print and digital content and publications. And sitting there across the table, socially distant and ready to go, uh, on the mic again is our producer. Hi, I'm Christina Baskin. I'm the multimedia journalist here at EAA and the Green Dot's producer. Um, Thanks for the introduction, Hal. So joining us virtually today from Kansas City is John Young. John is one of the co-founders of an event called Arkansas Ozark Backwoods Challenge, which may sound familiar to you if you're an avid reader of EAA's Sport Aviation Magazine. But in case you missed January's issue, John, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about the event and how this whole thing got started? Well, first of all, first of all, Hal and and Christine, thank you so much for uh, for the opportunity to uh, represent all the folks involved in the in, in the Backwoods Challenge, it, it, it has been a kind of a labor of love for us, and and we're excited at you know at, at what's happened and your coverage on it, and and really excited about what might happen in the future. So the the Backwoods Challenge itself um, is held down in Northwest Arkansas, and it's kind of a hidden gem of uh, an area of backwoods you know flying that a lot of people don't know about um, when they think about backcountry and backwoods flying. They think about going to Idaho and Montana and Alaska and all of that, or maybe, you know, the the Appalachians um, and the East Coast. But they don't think a lot about what's available right in the Midwest. And there is an area that encompasses kind of southern Missouri, um, southeast Kansas, south or uh, northwest Oklahoma, and predominantly, um, I'm sorry, northeast Oklahoma and predominantly northwest Arkansas that has mountains that go, can go up to as high as 3,000 feet. And um, it's just, there's a, a slew of, of runways down there that are, that are truly challenging runways, anything from 500 feet to you know, long runways that can accommodate jets uh, all in the same region. So um, that became the focus of an area where a lot of us go to, uh, to do the backcountry flying and to learn and improve our skills and specifically a place called Birds Adventure Center, um, which has been around for, for many, many years. And uh, that's where the, the challenge is held and, and probably will be held for, for quite some time. Um, the idea of the, the competition itself is there are four runways at Birds. There's actually a lot more than that, but we utilize four of the runways at Birds, all within about a mile and a half. Um, and so it's kind of like a golf tournament. Uh, you don't go and stand at one line and watch the activity. You can actually go to many different places and watch it at the different holes, if you will. But the idea is to take off of one runway and hit the other three runways, um, land, execute a 180-degree turn, take back off, and um, complete that in succession. And really kind of your choice on which way you go in the series of runways and then come back and land the same direction you took off on the main runway. And that's all done under the clock, you know, basically with, uh, with a timer set on you. So um, it uh, sounds pretty simple and we keep the rules very basic, but you're looking at runways that range from uh, 800 feet, um, 600 feet is actually the shortest, 600 feet to about 1800 feet. And they have natural obstacles, trees, 
one way in, one way out. It is a their true backcountry runways, and it's it's brought I think some excitement into the uh, the stole community. Now, John, when you've got people that are competing as part of this challenge, um, they're they're competing against the the clock, but uh, but we're seeing one airplane at a time operating on these courses. Is that correct? That's correct, and that's uh, obviously done for safety. It's a standard stole competition, which we have competed in, and you know uh, the different members. Um, of this, of the organization and, and, and different folks that are supporting it. You know, usually there's four or five or six airplanes in the air at one time, and they're successfully coming around trying to hit a line. Um, this isn't that case. Uh, for the safety of the participants and the pilots, the, the spectators and everything else, we run one aircraft at a time, which does have some limitations on how many we can run in a day. So now tell us a little bit about how challenging this course actually is and what it requires of the participants. So, yeah, it is definitely not a beginner's course. The, uh, the skills required um, are, I would call them advanced pilot skills. It's nothing different than you would um, learn, you know, even as a private pilot, you know, how to slip an airplane, how to do a soft field takeoff, how to, um, you know, make sure that you've uh, got enough runway available. All of those skills, you're just putting it all together and making multiple transitions um, in a very short period of time. Um, so while they're basic skills, it takes an advanced pilot to know how to operate the airplane on the edge um, of, uh, of the airspeeds and um, really control their um, not just their speed, but understand the momentum of the airplane and how quickly it decelerates um, and, and to know the limits of your own skills and, and the judgment required to say, this doesn't look good, you know, we're out of here, that type of a deal. So there's a lot of things that happen. It, it's not to say that you have to have 10,000 hours to do it. It's you have to have the the skill set of backcountry flying um, and the recency of backcountry flying to uh, to really do it safely and successfully. So for a competitor to join into something like this, uh, what do you ask of them to have as far as experience goes? So um, we're not asking for um, experience per se, where we say X amount of hours in, in the aircraft. We do, um, a survey ahead of time. Matter of fact, we've actually made that a little bit more automated this year, um, and we can do it online. But we actually let ask them how many years have they been flying, what have they been flying, how many years have they been flying in that particular aircraft with those modifications, and all of the above, so we can have a sense for who's coming in. The way we um, qualify them, if you will, is actually you have to. You can't just come in like a stole competition and enter and and, and go out and fly. You, you actually have to qualify on one of the medium runways that has obstacles. It's about a thousand feet long. Um, we shorten the, um, artificially shorten the length of it to where there is an out and they have to be able to approach over the obstacle, initiate a slip, successfully land and stop by a certain point and then turn around and take off the other direction. It simulates the shortest runway. Um, so that's the way we qualify them. Then during practice runs, we observe them and we see if there are any tendencies that need to be corrected or coached 
along the way. And, you know, that it's kind of a learning session, so a progression. And that, and then when, you know, they we feel like they have those skills and they understand the, the course, then we allow them to do it under the clock. Now, John, uh, I wasn't lucky enough to be there in person. I know Christina got to see the courses and these competitions firsthand, but um, I want to do a little bit more to, to make sure our listeners understand really what you're describing. Uh, when I saw some of the video footage that came back, I was blown away by really how fast paced it was with if if you just say to somebody on paper well you take off and you go from this runway then you go to that runway then you go to that runway and then you go back it it, it could sound to somebody like well that's kind of like a typical ga poker run sort of thing but this is extraordinary these runways are are all in one big compound right you know, almost right next to each other so what is an average time for a competitor to go through the course just so our listeners have a really clear understanding that this is this is a fast-paced event so the if you if you pulled an average time you know i would say that's going to be around three to three and a half minutes um so four four runways in i mean with, with less than a minute each that's that's absolutely mind-blowing it, it's it's pretty cool and again it's all within a mile and a half but you know you're you're executing a lot of configuration changes in that mile and a half flaps and airspeed and, and everything else. You want to go as fast as you can between the runways, but then you want to be able to slow it down in time to, to hit those spots. To give you an idea on the first year, we were amazed. When we first started doing it, we thought if somebody could break four minutes, it would be amazing. Well, that happened. And the next thing you know, we're like, well, if they can do three and a half and three, the very fastest uh, competitors were a little over two and a half minutes. Um, and the, and the slowest ones were about, you know, four and a half minutes. And that's remarkable considering the types of maneuvers that these pilots have to make. Um, I was fortunate enough to get to take a ride and uh, go through the course. And I was blown away by the degree of steepness going into uh, some of these landings for the, for the, for the runways and they're very short and you're getting up right after you land and turning around and going to the next one it's it's crazy um there were a lot of different aircraft at the event when i was there and that was one thing that really surprised me so it's my understanding that you guys had eliminated the weight restrictions for aircraft allowing multiple different types of aircraft to come in and compete correct yeah we 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 uh the first attempt at it we decided to go out rather simply instead of having a lot of different classes for certified and experimental we we segregated it into three different weights um, of aircraft and we've got you know light sport up to the 1320 um, you know light sport limitation um, and then we went into the bush class and then we went into the touring class the light sport and the bush uh, classes were uh, by far the most popular the touring class, when you get you know above a Bush aircraft uh, weight, it, it's uh, you definitely have to be working on you know a lot of pilot skill, and and um, normally the aircraft had some type of modification. Not in every case, but but they would have some type of modification. So um, if you think about it, everything from the just aircraft, the Zenith Fox or Kit Fox. Uh, you know, in the light sport, and, and there will be others, I think, that will come and fly it. And then the Bush class, you know, Aviat Huskies, the Carbon Cubs, um, you know, the, the traditional Super Cub, that type of deal. 
um, it, uh, it and, and to see these pilots use these different aircraft and and use different techniques um, surprised us. It was just it was just a pleasure to watch. Now, at this most recent competition, there was, uh, in addition to some of the usual suspects, you listed a lot, of, uh, a lot of things you'd expect to see at a stole competition, the just aircraft Highlanders and super stoles and zeniths and huskies and things like that. But, uh, uh, but there was one in particular, if you know which one I'm talking about, that really stood out, um, a type of uh, airplane, an amphibian you wouldn't expect to see normally at a, at a stole competition. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, I can. Um, and the gentleman that, uh, that flew that was actually the one who gave me my float rating um, some time back. And uh, I invited him to the competition. He's out of St. Louis. Um, and that aircraft, you know, it's, it's a light sport amphibious aircraft, um, you know, with a Rotax engine on it. Um, it has kind of an interesting wing. If you look at it, and especially when you're flying it, it looks like you're kind of like flying a kite because of the high angle of incidence on the wing. But And we're talking about a C-Ray, correct? A progressive aerodyne C-Ray? Yeah, the C-Ray. Sorry, my, my apologies. The C-Ray. Um, so he came in, and he knew it, he wasn't going to win. Um, and there were some uh, little bit, the eyebrows were raised that he would even enter that type of airplane. And to be honest with you, we worried, weren't worried about the performance. We were worried about the gear, you know, whether or not, you know, it could handle because this isn't necessarily a, a graceful um, landing. I mean, you're trying to get the airplane on the ground um, and that's not always pretty, you know, effective. Yeah, but but not pretty. It, it flew great. It was the slowest airplane on the course. And, 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 and you know, he, we you know, kind of poke him about that. When I say the slowest, it was the slowest in his class. Uh, but um, he successfully maneuvered everything and really showed that the airplane, it's a tailwheel airplane and it's very capable. So that was neat to watch. Was that the only amphibian to entry or to enter? Excuse me. Yeah, it is. It, it was the only amphibious aircraft to come in. I don't know that a float plane itself uh, would, would actually do very well sure. because you just can't can't be that aggressive with uh, with a float plane. I have friends that have competed in the stole competitions with float planes, carbon cups on floats, that type of deal. And, um, you know, you have to still be careful because those, those wheels are pretty small. Um, but the fact that this is kind of a flying boat really, really helped. And you're talking pretty high descent rates on these uh you know, really tight spot landings after a slip and that sort of thing. That makes sense. But, but at least we can say, Hey, the sea ray was the fastest amphibian there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome to have him come. Now there were a lot of highlights from, from this event and it's hard for me to narrow it down. I can't imagine how hard it is for you to narrow down the highlights from the event, but for those tuning in who weren't able to make it to this Let's talk about and kind of recap some of those highlights from from this event. Um, one of which, to me, was a young lady named named Jaden Newman, who came in and competed in the course uh, at just seventeen and did and blew us all away. Quite frankly, can you speak to that? Yeah, I absolutely can. And you know, we had two seventeen-year-olds. We had Jaden Newman, um, and then we had Austin Clemens. Austin um, is you know. Oh, he had a thousand hours. He, you know, he grew up in a in an aviation family that that operates aircraft all the time. Uh, 
and he would, I would say he was already an accomplished Bush pilot. Um, Jaden came in um, as an unknown. And, and literally the first time I was contacted by, by Jaden and her father, um, they, they were apologizing because they wanted, they, they just didn't understand the sign-up rules and they, were, they signed up late. Unfortunately, as it originally um, happened, they were on the standby list. Actually, they were on the standby to standby list. But because of weather and other factors, a lot of the people couldn't make it in. Um, Jaden actually flew all the way from California um, where she was uh, taking, um, uh, getting her ratings and, and walking through all the things that some of us took a lifetime to do. She did in a few years. Um, and she came in on the chance that, that we would take a look at her, see if she would qualify. And, um, and if, you know, luckily, hopefully be able to run in the race. As it turned out, she did. And, you know, she was, as you said, amazing. What was very interesting is, you know, as most people who would have followed it um, and are familiar with Steve Henry, um, she gave Steve a run for his money. And they were, you know, they were um, very, very close on first and second. What was amazing to me about the two of them is how they flew the course. Steve's aircraft, obviously 300 horsepower, um, you know, nitrous injected and, and all of those things. And he's very, he's, he's very well known in the Stoll community, very aggressive style um, in which he flew the course. Watching Jaden was like watching a ballet act. And she had a stock, you know, carbon SS Cub, you know, Super Sport Cub that, uh, that ran the course. And she was able to fly that aircraft um, um, just with a whole bunch of style and still basically run the same time. And that, that's amazing. That really is, uh, really is incredible. And you said, so Jaden flew out from California. She flew the Carbon Cub uh, all the way out there to compete? She did. She did. Her, uh, uh, they actually live in Colorado. She's going to school in, in California. And um, they, uh, she flew it. I believe her mom was with her uh, for the trip. But then they joined up with... Uh, uh, with their father and his carbon cub, and they flew the rest of the way. Um, I think they joined up in Southern Colorado somewhere, but if I remember correctly, but yeah, she, she came a long way to be in the competition. And, you know, and I think back when I was 17, quite a while ago, I, just that flight across the country would have been the achievement of a lifetime for me, or, you know, two thirds of the way across the country. But, but here she is doing it just to get there and, uh, and compete. It's, fantastic yeah it was uh we had, we had a lot of stories like that I, one of the things i do want to point out is that you know the, the whole course is is really use a lot of judgment and we really promote um you know people thinking ahead about what they're doing and and everything else uh, we celebrated the folks that chose not to fly as much as we did the folks that um that won um, we had several folks that would even qualified, but for whatever reason, it wasn't their day. Um, they weren't feeling it or they looked at the course. And in one particular case, we had a gentleman that he, he and his family came to the event. He pulled out two weeks ahead of time. Um, and we applauded that because it showed tremendous judgment on knowing their capabilities and their airplanes capabilities and knowing what they do to work up, you know, needed to do to work up to that and and to me that's one of the largest things we're promoting here is knowing your limitations improving your skills and and giving yourself a new challenge 
That's that's fascinating and so terrific safety first mindset. Um, it does raise a question for me though that as you have people flying the course, do you have uh, occasionally someone, you know, they're they're slipping down and they're in the middle of this 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 crazy you know two and a half to four and a half minute course. Does anybody ever need to do a go around, even though that's going to mean you know certainly mean adding them, you know maybe doubling their time. Um. You know, we didn't have that a lot. Um, we had one guy that totally, uh, and he was an experienced guy too, came over the trees and he was just too high. So he executed a, a proper uh, a proper 360 turn and his aircraft was small enough. He could do it in a very small space and he was able to, to come in and land. You know, it increased his time. Sure. Um, but uh, we didn't have anybody that had to go around. And I, I really attribute that to the, process that we we go through to make sure that people are qualified and practiced um, and understand the course now were there go arounds on practice absolutely oh sure um, but we didn't have any um, during the event interesting so uh, let me ask you one other thing John and just uh, put yourself into the the minds of the of the competitors and and you know other people that come along why do you think people do this? What motivates a, a pilot to to say, you know, yes, I want to go to uh, to the the back country in Arkansas and see if I can't hit four runways in three minutes? Well, I think we um, we were somewhat lucky last year. I mean, it was not an easy year, as we all know. Um, uh, there was a lot of people that everybody was out of sorts. Everybody was. Um, you know, looking for something that felt normal. Um, you know, we uh, we actually had 600 people um, sign waivers to be on property and be at the event. That's a lot of people during COVID. We had a COVID plan with the state of Arkansas um, that we implemented. Um, the fact that it was outdoors helped a lot. And the fact that pilots practice safety anyway, that helped. We didn't have to worry so much about that because that's part of what we do when we fly. Um, but the, um, I think the feedback that I got, um, mostly was that people just felt normal and they, and they enjoyed it. They could go to the different runways and sit there and see something that was, um, you know, from a different viewpoint, a different angle, and then they can move to the next one. And, and there were walks in the woods, you know, uh, a little bit, I think that also we really promoted highly was the fact that it wasn't just about the flying competition. It's a lot like Oshkosh. It's about the people. It's about the camaraderie. It's sharing of skills and stories. Um, you know, we had things uh, that they could do at night. You know, there was the bonfire uh, bonfires that went on with the guitars that were playing, and that all just happened spontaneously. So we did get the the feedback that it was the the event. It was the the people that were there um, and um, and the venue itself. And I think that's one of the things that makes this very unique. Um, whereas most of these events are at a traditional airport, Birds Adventure Center um, is a backcountry um, recreational area. It has a river that runs through it. You know, they do kayaking, they have a, they have a restaurant there. They, they do, they have a premier off-roading um, at the, at the venue so they are set up to handle this type of crowd and that made it even more entertaining and i think this year you'll find with the restrictions lifting 
there are some things that we're going to be able to do we couldn't do last year. Um, and I think it'll even be a lot more fun, especially in the evenings. Compared to other soul competitions, I mean, you really can't even compare this to any competition that at least I know of. Um, this is true backcountry flying in combination of uh, adding some competitive flair to it. Um, when you and I were talking prior to the event, um, you had mentioned that you and the other two co-founders of the event really wanted to find a way to step outside of the box to challenge these pilots and to do it in a fun atmosphere. Um, Birds Adventure Center is a special place for um, some of the event organizers who put this thing together. Um, can you talk a little bit about why Birds and how you guys stumbled upon this place and chose it as the place for the, the stool competition? Absolutely. And, 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 and it's a good time to also mention, I think that, um, you know, I am one of three. I'm not the guy smart enough to think about all this. Um, a gentleman named Joe Edwards, um, is really the guy who, who thought about it. Um, Joe's out of uh, just north of Little Rock, owns a little flying community um, down there. And I've gotten to know Joe, and he's been like family to me now, uh, you know, and I've known him for many, many years. So he, he was the brainchild. And um, myself and then a gentleman named Rusty Coonfield, who um, flies PC-12s for a living, and, uh, but is an avid backcountry instructor um as a third member of the crew that doesn't include all the awesome volunteers um so joe really you know took a look at all of this um took a look at the at the surroundings we've done the stole competitions we've done the backcountry stuff um and we're always as pilots looking for something to do that to increase our own abilities and, and challenge ourselves and you know we're sitting around a campfire and and looking at all this, and we'd all flown these strips um, and understood what they, what they were. And uh, there may have been a little bit of, uh, of, of whiskey involved in this conversation, <laughs> but, uh, but it got a little creative. We start thinking about the time element and then we put it to practice and you know, it was kind of fun um, to link all those together. Um, and I know it improved my skills. Um, I had not hit all the runways before we started thinking about doing this in, in my Husky. By the time, you know, we were done with the first weekend session, I'd hit them all many times. And I started to feel a lot more comfortable with it. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's exactly what you were looking for, but but it really was based on a set of, of, uh, of folks and, and, and we got contributions from, from a lot of the local pilots and flyers uh, Dale Mitchell, the gentleman that you got to take your ride with, Christina, um, you know, he almost has a st almost stock 175. And what he can do with that heavy airplane is just absolutely amazing to us. And we figured if he could run it in that aircraft, that it would open it up to a lot of other people. So um, the, the actual idea itself, um, again, began with Joe, spread through the community of pilots that are in Northwest Arkansas and grew to what it is now. And this past event was the first ever Arkansas Ozark Backwoods Challenge, and it was a massive success and in many ways kind of felt like a mini EAA air venture. So I know that you've already announced that there will in fact be a second annual event, 
But what might this year's events uh, look like? Are there any factors or things that went particularly well from last year or things that you might even eliminate for this year's event? I don't know that we'll eliminate a lot, um, to be honest with you. And, and, and you know, hats off to you guys that do this every year because I can tell you event planning is a whole nother realm of difficult. <laughs> um, you know, there are so many things involved. I was lucky to have a good crew. Um, but one of the comments we got when we asked for feedback from our sponsors, um, from uh, the participants, the pilots, and, and the folks that attended was keep it the same. Keep the same feel, um, which is going to be, I'll admit, difficult to do because I think more people will come. Um, so that's going to be one of the challenges is how do we adapt and and improve on some things there's basic stuff like transportation it's a mile and a half there's a lot of walking and some folks can't walk that far so we're going to work on transportation you know to and from the different runways um and 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 to get you know folks where they need to be um i do believe there will be more entrance this year we've already had 25 uh, pilots that were there last year already raised their hand that they're coming back and we haven't opened up, um, you know, uh, standard registration yet. Uh, so that's going to be, I think, a challenge. So there may be some things we need to do there to try to accommodate those pilots, such as a, you know, a qualifying and then potentially, you know, pairing down the participants to the Saturday runs. Uh, we're, we're working through a lot of those logistics. Um, from an entertainment standpoint, we would love to have live music this year. Um, we couldn't do that last year because of COVID. Um, so there are some things there from a social aspect we would like to change, but um, a little bit more access to to the food um, with more people. Um, you know, I think that we're going to have to uh, to work on that a bit. The thing that you need to know about Birds Adventure Center is it's a true backcountry event, and that means that there's very little to no cell coverage. Most of the people are going to be camping. And there's not a hotel to easily drive to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is backcountry flying and it's in a remote area. But that being said, it is a beautiful area. We're very, very fortunate to have that so close to us. So when can folks uh, mark this down on their calendar for this uh, upcoming event? So we are we're moving the date a little bit further um, uh, further further back in the year. It was first of September last year. This year will be the very first weekend in October. So it's really that September 29th through about October 3rd uh, time frame. Right now we're planning about Wednesday through through Sunday um, for it to uh, to happen. Um, I think people will arrive earlier uh, than that, but uh, really that first weekend in October. So we're when you can plan for it. I bet uh, that part of the country is beautiful that time of year. I'm uh, still jealous of Christina for uh, forgetting to go down there. Uh, now, John, in addition to uh, uh, Christina's story, which we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, she did a, uh, a nice big feature on the whole event in the January 2021 issue of Sport Aviation. So shameless plug for our magazine there. Uh, where else can people go to find out more about the competition? We find you on the web, on social media. Yeah, we actually are on, on, on all those. We, uh, we have a website. Uh, it's uh, arkansas.com. Fairly, fairly simple website to find. Um, we also have uh, an Arkansas Facebook page and, and Instagram page. We try to stay 
uh, very active on. We also have a YouTube channel um, that you can go to. We made a tremendous effort to do a, a lot of instructional um, and educational videos about the place so people could get a feel for it. So definitely on the YouTube channel, if, if you want to get a good feel for what it is to like, like to run the course, we've got a lot of, of, uh, of interesting interesting uh, snippets that have been made and a couple of uh, kind of fun ones as well to take a look at. That's, that's fantastic. And uh, like I said earlier, the uh, videos that I've seen of people, uh, people running the course, the, the pace of it is extraordinary. It is not at all what you're expecting when you hear about a little round robin challenge. Uh, even if you conceptually understand all these runways are in that mile and a half of each other, this is a, uh, this is a fast paced, very exciting thing to watch. And it's fascinating to see the different approaches and the different skill sets. So, John, uh, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us here today. We're just about to the, uh, the end of this episode, but we're very, very grateful uh, that you took some time to talk about the event. And, and, and frankly, uh, if I can speak on Christina's behalf as well, for both of us, uh, we're grateful that you uh, were such a gracious host to Christina and Alden when they were down there to do the story. And we, we just appreciate anybody who's out there doing something to uh, – to keep the general, uh, general aviation community alive and interested and engaged, uh, especially uh, during that uh, difficult year of 2020. So congratulations to you for kicking off a terrific event. Well, thank you for that. On behalf of all the folks, um, Rusty and Joe, myself and all the volunteers, thank you so much for having us and for covering it. It's, uh, it's uh, pretty special to, uh, to be a part of the EAA family. Well, you uh, you certainly are that, and I uh, I look forward to meeting you personally in person one of these uh, one of these years, whether that's here at AirVenture or down in your neck of the woods. So, with that, thanks to everyone uh, as always for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to tune in. Uh, we love some feedback. You can email us feedback at eaa.org. Let us know how we're doing with the green dot. In addition, you can always comment on the blog posts that go up with each episode. You'll find those on our hangar flying blog at inspire.eaa.org. Uh, you can leave comments there, or you can leave uh, much, much appreciated reviews on uh, sites like iTunes, anywhere else you consume your podcast. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, and, and a number of other places. So please uh, keep those reviews coming. That kind of feedback that we get is the reason that we're able to continue doing this show. So with that, thanks again for listening, and we look forward to catching up to you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot.